Let's open our Bibles to the uh, book of Zephaniah. This Wednesday we'll be getting caught up chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the last couple of the minor prophets, making our way into Zephaniah, which is three chapters long. Score Paul read, even though the primary text is verses 9 through 20, um, we read just um, down to verse 12. So what I'm going to do is read all 20 because it is the third division of the book that's divided into really two sections. And verses 9 through 20 is actually the third division, uh, the second division of the book of Zephaniah. Verse 1, verse 9. <clears throat> For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. Let me just stop there and tell you that it's prophetic. And even during the time of Jesus, they did not, the average person did not speak Hebrew. Uh, that's why when they put on the cross the three different languages. Um, but here we have, when we go to Israel, they speak Hebrew, just Hebrew. And um, that this is actually a prophecy referring to the restoration of the Hebrew language. That they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring me offerings. And that day you will not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgressed against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. And I will leave you in your midst a meek and a humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed their flock and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughters of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments, and he has cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall see disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, the Mighty One will save. And he will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. And I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back. Even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord, which finishes the book of the minor prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah would have prophesied during the time of Josiah. Josiah would have been one of eight of the good kings of Israel. There were 20, but there were only eight good ones, and Josiah would have been one of the good ones. It was during a time of revival. It was short-lived. And his um, message, uh, as we look at the book of Zephaniah, is one that, just like with... Um, um, the other uh, revival that uh, took place, um, let's see, that was, hmm, it'll come to me. It usually does. Somewhere in the message, I'll come back and let you know that, what that was. But anyway, it, it's, it's short-lived, and because, of, because it is short-lived, the first... Um, Three, two chapters here up to verse 9 is nothing more than judgment. Now, I've entitled the morning's message, Judgment Before Blessing. 
And the reoccurring theme of all the minor prophets, there's about 12 or 13, depending upon if you want to call it, count Daniel or not. But um, uh, we have from Hosea all the way to the Malachi, about 12 or 13 minor prophets. And um, basically, it's extremely repetitive. And the date about this is about 630 uh, B.C., uh, Zephaniah opens with idolatry. The very first verse calls for the judgment of the whole world. And then in verse 2, it narrows it down just to the surrounding nations and Jerusalem in particular. And that's all it talks about, judgment, judgment, judgment. Until you get to verse uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Even uh, chapter 3, verse uh, eight talks about the judgment of the whole earth. This is in reference to the tribulation period. Now, I've got to stop and make a comment here. Much of what we've been studying has been extremely repetitive. Every prophet is actually pronouncing judgment uh, from Malachi, um, from Hosea to Malachi. And we're hearing that week over week. Every prophet is saying it. Sometimes they're saying it to the northern kingdom. That fell in 721 because they wouldn't listen to the prophets. But then some of them were speaking, some of the prophets were speaking to the southern two kingdoms um, in the minor prophets. And um, some were speaking to both. Um, Babylon... Just a couple, less than 200 years later, Judah is going to fall, and the Assyrians already would have taken um, in 721 B.C. because they would not listen to the words of the prophets. That's why I've entitled this Judgment. So we see a pattern emerging. A lot of what I'm going to share this morning, we've been talking about for several months as J. Vernon McGee would often say, how do you learn your Bible? And he would say, repetition, repetition, repetition. <laughs> and so what are we learning as we're studying the prophets? They had a message, a message of turn, you know, since Jezebel came into the land and introduced Baal worship to repent, and then they would go through these crazy cycles. And the pattern is warning for a period of time. But then after so much time, the warning comes to an end and God brings his judgment. Um, I, I told you I would remember the other one. I just remembered it. Well, I can't take credit for it. I just saw it in my notes. <laughs> There's two exceptions to what I just said. And that is with Jonah. Jonah warned. Jonah went to Nineveh, the modern city of Mosul, which I find most interesting. And there he had the, the greatest success rate of any evangelical crusade in human history. 100% of the people from the king on down repented. But it was short-lived. By the time we get to Nahum, Nahum doesn't even go there. He gives his prophecy from afar. You've been warned, you repented. Less than 100 years later, you're all backslidden. So that's what the, the book of Nahum is about. It took between 100 and 150 years before Nahum appeared on the scene that Jonah went to Nineveh with a message from God. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to bring a message there, a remarkable thing happened. The entire city turned to the Lord. Then the question arises, well, how did it work out? Did it last? Did this nation become a godly nation? The answer is no, they didn't. In time, the revival wore off. In a time, they went back to their paganism. In time, they became as brutal as they were before. This nation had a message from God, but now here comes Nahum, which we've just been studying, with another message. You've gone too far. It's too late. No second chance. And judgment um, was brought down upon them. 
So the other revival that was short-lived is one we're studying here in Zephaniah. Josiah was a good king. And with Zephaniah, there was a period of time of revival. However, like Nineveh, it was short-lived. And therefore, what you have, and we'll go verse by verse on a Wednesday night through this. If you go back to verse 1 of chapter 1, the judgment of the whole world is there. And then... Um, the call for repentance is all of what chapter 2 is, what that's all about. Clearly, when it talks about the judgment of the whole world, we're talking about the great tribulation period. There's been a lot of wars and rumors of wars. Chapters 1 and 2, all the way up to chapter 3, verse 9. Two things are going on here. One, it is prophesying the tribulation period. That is yet future to us. Number two, it was a local message to the people that he was prophesying to that they were going to be judged. Now, one of the reoccurring themes, and it usually happens at the end, we find now being repetitive, that beginning of verse 9, complete change of subject. Yes, God will bring judgment But like I said earlier, the message this morning is called judgment before blessing. And it's true with the believer also that many of us had to go through difficult times of being taken to the woodshed, being dealt with, coming to the end of ourselves until we could call upon the name of the Lord, receive the promise that he promised to us, which is his Holy Spirit, And um, then the promise that I go to prepare a place for you. Part of the promise he's already given to you. And that is the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee. He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that you have eternal life. Well, I don't have my kingdom yet. And the place that he's prepared for me, I'm sure looking forward to seeing that. But I don't have that yet. So it's a promise that is yet to come just as this judgment here that is going to affect the whole world is that seven-year period of time that we call the Great Tribulation period. After that, we have now our text, verse 9, then I will restore Jerusalem. And the, the, the biggest miracle that we have in the world today is regathering of the nation of Israel, and we were just there celebrating. You saw how much fun we were having, and it really was. And... Um, Uh, we find, again, this pattern. In the book of Habakkuk, uh, he ministering uh, during the death of the nation of uh, Judah. And although repeatedly called to repentance, the, the nation stubbornly refused to change their sinful ways. And Habakkuk, knowing the hard hardness of the countrymen, asked God how long this intolerable condition would continue And he told them that he's going to use the Babylonians to destroy them. And um, here we have the the book of Daniel in the nations that that have come and gone through world history. People doubt the authenticity of God's word. No, the Bible always proves itself. Um, We've had the world kingdoms beginning with Egypt, going to the Assyrians, which nobody thought could be defeated because they had 100-foot walls with 100-foot towers, and um, but yet prophesied that they would be destroyed by a flood, which is exactly what happened when the moat in the river flooded it and weakened the foundations so that the Babylonians just walked right in. And they became the next world power. After the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, after the Medes and the Persians, of course, Alexander the Great, after Alexander the Great, the Romans, and now we're waiting in between because there's never been another world empire since Rome. They fell from within. And I can't help but think of the similarities. As I look at our nation today, and you can see where I'm going to begin to start connecting some dots. This last week we celebrated... uh, Veterans Day, 
those who gave their life for the freedoms of our country. And its foundation was based upon Judean Christian principles. And today our Judean Christian principles are being mocked and ridiculed and they're calling good evil and evil good. And that's what's happening in our country. And don't think for a second that we're exempt from God bringing judgment on us any differently than he did his own people when they got away from him and began worshiping others than himself. So we're in the portion of God's word that we call the minor prophets. Zephaniah, then we're going to be in Haggai, or Haggai. Then we'll go to Zechariah and then Malachi, and we'll finish the minor prophets. But again, it's going to be repetitive. And then when we're through with that, the last verse of the Old Testament says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, unless I come and smite the earth with a curse. It has a twofold fulfillment. One fulfillment was the preaching of John the Baptist, which I'll get to in just a little bit, because they thought, and the Bible says, that John came in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Well, what does that mean, Dwight? It means the same anointing that was upon Elijah rested upon John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest man who ever walked this planet, besides himself. And yet John did no miracles. But it's twofold, because when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Moses and Elijah. And the disciples had a lot of questions about why do the prophets say Elijah must come first? They were pointing back to that last verse of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, saying that Elijah is going to come. It's a reference to, and we'll be getting to this in a couple of weeks when we talk about the two prophets in Zechariah, um, one of them being Elijah, and uh, he will be returning. So, end of the Old Testament, that's how it ends. And then nothing for the next 400 years. Oh, there's history. And um, I challenge you to be a Brian. I just said the Bible named every world empire. Well, that's either true or false. Do your history. Is that true or is that false? And did God talk about it ahead of time? Absolutely. Daniel 9 starts with Babylon. But he goes on and names the Medo persians the Grecians, and the Romans, and the one that's going to come in the future. Now, I have a lot of confidence that there is a revived Roman Empire coming in the future. Why? Because he was spot on when he said the Medo persians would dis- defeat the Babylonians, and then the Greek, Alexander the Great would take out the Medo-Persians, meet the Persians, and then the Romans him. And it's all there, and the Bible said it before it happened. Now that should get our attention. This book is different. So now we have 400 years, and all of a sudden we got this guy in camel hair with long hair and a beard, and he's, um, when we were in Israel, uh, we got real close to a place called uh, Barabara, I think it's called, and it would have been close to Qumran. And when we were visiting where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they actually had a film. And in the film, it actually talked about this guy named John that was with them for a while, but then he left again. And they were referring to it possibly being John the Baptist. But God had not been speaking for 400 years. Um, just flip over and let's have a little fun here for a second. Go to Luke chapter 3. And um, so all of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees were hearing about this mighty man preaching, and they wanted to know if uh, he was Elijah or Jeremiah or the, or the Messiah. And he said no to all of the above. But yet John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Matter of fact, he says, I'm not worthy even to tie the shoelaces of the one who's coming when the Messiah comes. But when John the Baptist, people have a misunderstanding sometimes of preaching and teaching, and that it should always be gentle and loving and kind. 
Not so with John the Baptist. Uh, Chris Quintana just sent me an early um, uh, Christmas card. And um, go ahead and put it up on the screen. This is my Christmas card from Chris. <laughs> I said, Chris, I thought, you know, how, how are you going to send me a Christmas card like that? Is that biblical? Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who has warned you from the wrath to come? That's not very secret sensitive, John. (laughs) And yet, you know, the greatest man that ever lived, what does he say? Who's warned you, brood of vipers, about judgment day that's coming? Those were the first words out of his mouth. And yet, look where the church is at today. You know, try to dumb it down, soften it down, the greatest man who ever lived didn't do that. He called them out. He said, you hypocrites. And read Matthew 23. These are the words of the Lord himself. And he is ticked off at these guys. He says, you guys put on a big show. You're nothing but whited sepulchers. You take advantage of widows, you hypocrites. And he uses the term brood of vipers. What, loving, kind Jesus? Yeah, if it's called for Of course, there's the other side of the coin where Jesus said, come and learn of me. For I'm meek and lonely in heart and spirit and you'll find rest for your souls. So we teach the whole counsel of God. Why? Because he gives us the whole picture. So I'm going to send Chris back his uh, Christmas card with my own personal comments on it. (laughs) The disciples were sure Jesus came to establish the promise that Zephaniah was talking about in our text. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, is clearly the kingdom age. And only the Messiah can bring in the kingdom. Well, Jesus is walking on water, feeding the 5,000, opening the eyes of the blind, the lame are walking. People are being raised from the dead. Surely the Messiah is here and the kingdom has come. He even said the kingdom of God is among you. How would you translate that? Well, the disciples were jockeying for position. They argued who would, who would be prime minister and who would be secretary of state. And they did not understand. It went right over their head when the Lord said, the son of man's got to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be beaten and scourged. He's going to be killed. And then he's going to rise three days later. Is that clear enough? I mean, did you hear what I just said? Okay, well, Jesus said those exact same words to the disciples. You know what they did? They went out and started arguing who's going to be next to the king when he sets up the kingdom. Right over their head. Again, I say this a lot, but it's such a great Paul Simon line. Man, here's what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Pick and choose. And a lot of people are doing that with the word of God today. They're picking what they want and they're uh, leaving out the parts they don't want. I just told Bob a little bit earlier before he came in. I said, Bob, we keep talking about you giving an update on, on red letters. I said, you call me this week. Let's get this thing on the books. So amen, Bob. We'll do it this week. Okay, thumbs up. And um, they were sure. My point is they were sure the kingdom had come. And so they began to ask the questions. Let's turn to Matthew 24. And again, I realize I'm being repetitive Uh, with some of the material that I'm going to go through the rest of the study. Why? Because that's what the text calls for. The text calls for repetition as we read the minor prophets. So if I'm going to connect the dots with the New Testament, we're going to be going through some scriptures that we've been going through, and hopefully they'll be well planted within us. The disciples' question is, when's the kingdom coming? So in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24, uh, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the very first thing that Jesus says is, don't let anyone deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. Let's just stop there. I was in an office this week reading a National Geographic magazine that uh, showed a picture of the universe. And I thought, well, here's some 
great pictures of the universe and heralds. And I opened it up, and it said, is Jesus coming again? And then it showed pictures of five people from around the world who say they're Jesus Christ. I thought I was reading a National Geographic magazine. The first one I'll put up is uh, Inrai, and he's from Brazil. He claims to be Jesus Christ. He has thousands of followers. The next guy is Jesus Maatrashi. He's from Japan. He has his own following. The third one is Jesus of Kitwi in Zambia, Africa. He has quite a following because he claims to be uh, Jesus. Um, number four this guy's been around for a long time. His name is Lord Maitreya. And uh, he actually has his own John the Baptist named Benjamin Cream. He goes back to uh, the early 80s. Um, had to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Took out full pages ads and world newspapers around the world saying the Messiah has come. And it was Lord Maitreya. He's still around. You can Google him. Google Benjamin Cream or Lord Maitreya. And um, he says he's just waiting for the right time, and there's going to be a light of acknowledgement, and everybody all of a sudden is going to be aware that he is the long-awaited Messiah. Now, this is not part of my notes, but have you been noticing lately um, some of the new series on TVs with uh, kids having supernatural powers and, and having extra... Um, insights and being able to do paranormal type activity. Again, Hollywood is just prepping and priming um, us. The next guy, he's got to come out of the hood. This guy's name is Moses Longwayne. He's from South Africa. Um, I don't think Jesus would have dressed that way myself, but that's that one. This last one does look like Jesus, and he's from Siberia. The Christ of Siberia, his name is uh, Vizarian. And so this is just in a National Graphic magazine that I just happened to op- up, open up this week. If, we're, if it's as late as I believe it is, then I think uh, there will be others, as Jesus said, that will come, and they will actually claim to be the Lord himself. He not only says it in verse um, five, but he also says it in verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many. He says it in verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, miracles. That shouldn't surprise you. Because when Moses brought the miracles and the plagues upon Egypt, guess what Janus and Jambri were able to do? duplicate them. Remember Charlton Heston with the staff? <laughs> Throwing it down, it became a snake. Pharaoh wasn't impressed. Janus, Jambri, they brought out their staffs, threw them down, and they became serpents. Yes, Moses' serpent devoured the other two, and they were only able to go so far with, the dupl- with duplicating the miracles. Uh, We're told not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Don't you know that Satan can turn himself into an angel of light? Isn't it interesting with these apparitions of Mary and other people being seen around the world that are just appearing? Um, This is nothing more. They're not aliens, okay, for the record. They are demons. Let me say that again. It's not that it's not happening. I believe it is happening. But what they are not is not some ETs from some uh, planet uh, light years away. No. They're demons who have the ability to take on human form. They've done it in the past. And the Bible says that the devil himself can turn himself into an angel of light and to the Virgin Mary if he chooses to. And they have that capacity and ability. That's why it says... Here, they will show great signs and wonders. I, I believe the, what he kind of has in view here is actually 
the Antichrist false prophet who calls fire out of heaven, and that's in the book, of course, of Revelation. Let's look at verse 6 of Matthew 24. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Um, Calvary pastor sent me an extremely lengthy article on what's really going on in the Middle East with the Ezekiel 38 war. I did not have time to put that all together, except you might want to do some homework on that. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For kingdom will rise against kingdom, uh, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. I thought it interesting this past couple weeks that we had a 7.3 earthquake on the border between Iran and Iraq. Sunni and Shiite. When it's the word their nation, uh, kingdom against kingdom, is actually ethnic group against ethnic group or different religions. The Sunni hates the Shiites more than they hate the Jewish people. That the animosity between these two religious groups is off the chart towards their hatred. 500 people were killed in this quake and 8,000 were wounded. And I think it's just uh, a wake-up call. Let's look, let's turn the page about the question, Lord, what's going to be like when you're coming? We'll come back to the parable of the fig tree, which is the biggest sign. The Lord's disciples said, Lord, what sign should we look for? We'll come back to the parable of the fig tree. But he said, you know, it's going to be kind of like um, the days of Noah. Um, So that's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. Well, what was that like? Well, they were... Um, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and going to Jan and Sandy's wedding. And Oh, no, that's not what it says there. But until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were thinking, um, the Packers are playing Pittsburgh today at noon. And they were thinking, uh, we're going to travel to Grandma's house this Thanksgiving. What are you saying, Dwight? Life's normal. Everyday stuff is not going to be expected. But all of a sudden, it started to rain. And this crazy old man, I told Judy, I said, Honey, I want to see Noah's Ark. They built this thing to scale. And so this is, this is on my bucket list. I want, I want to see this thing. So sometime this summer, we're going to make a trick out there. And I want to see what Noah's Ark looked like. And um, as it was in the days of Noah, I'll be able to sneak that into Bible study for years if the Lord tarries, right? Well, the idea here is going to be normal when the Lord comes for the church. These are rapture verses because no one knows the day or the hour. This is different from the second coming because the second coming will end with Daniel 12 this morning. We know when the Lord is going to come at the second coming. Exactly 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation is set up. The second coming. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, Watch therefore because two men will be left in the field. One will be taken the other left. No man knows when that's going to take place. The only sign, if you will, is that Israel has to be gathered back into the land. And um, if you go to, before we get to the parable of, of, of the fig tree, just go back to Matthew 24, verse 8. Because with um, life going on at normal, on the other hand, you have verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. There's going to be things happening in our society that we've never seen happen. Jeez, where where, where do I start? With the 26 were killed last week in a church in Texas? Or the guy running down people in New York? I'm quoting um, Romans 8.28, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails with birth pains together until now. Well, what's a birth pain? Things different than they were in the 50s. And um, a world that we now live in, 
Well, let me quote Jan Markell. Jan, this was part of Jan's article this week. She puts it this way. Things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place. And she says, I didn't think I would live to see, and here's her list. So this is from Jan. The earth reeling with an um, apolitic manner, yet most going about business as usual, eating and drinking, enjoying life. Every natural disaster preceded by words such as unprecedented, history-making, or of biblical proportions. Hurricane Irma, so strong it was measured on a device that tracks earthquakes. A major U.S. newspaper says that someday everybody will get willingly microchipped. Plant Parenthood teamed up with Satanists and are cooperating in their mutual evil. Some people heed the warning signs of impending natural disasters, but scoff at the ultimate warning that Jesus is returning soon and you must be ready. American society talking about the possibility of an EMP, that's an electric magnetic pulse, that would pretty much set us back to the 19th century. And, you know, do you take this stuff seriously or not? Well, we had our board meeting to set the budget yesterday after men's prayer, and we actually kicked it around. Should we be thinking about such things? Should we have something here for the church in case something like that happened where at least people could come and there'd be heat and food and warmth? We've never talked like that before. Judy and I talked about getting a generator for our own house, just in case. And I never thought that way before. But as I look at the world around today, it could actually happen. And um, those are my own personal opinions, what I just expressed. And, and you may have, have, have your own. And that's fine. But I'm right and you're wrong, just so you know. <laughs> Listen, when you're having a heavy Bible study, you've got to find some ways of lightening up, right? Okay, um, oh, I'm continuing on with Jan. Over 40% of Americans say they would prefer socialism over capitalism. Say what? In the United States of America? You know what I found out yesterday that I did not know? I knew, I thought I knew what Obamacare was about until one of the guys told me, he says, yeah, I'm taking an $8,000 hit this year because they don't have insurance. I says, what do you mean? If you don't have insurance, you don't, you don't have to pay for it. Yeah, you do have to pay for it. I said, say what? No, where I missed, where I missed the, the memo on that one, I, I, I don't know. But I did. So you must have insurance, and if you don't, you're penalized. And I said, where's the politician that I want to hit? You know, This is America? Actors in Central Park simulate the assassination of a U.S. president. Satanic outfits be granted. Um, oh, uh, satanic outfits be granted IRS tax exemption status, while Christians and conservatives are overlooked and ignored. A leader of the Catholic Church in South America states that Pope Francis is paving the way for the Antichrist. A major U.S. newspaper, the Washington Post, called Satan good and called him a great representation of secularism. A discussion of womb transplants for men. Preschoolers being lectured by a demonic horn creature that transgenderism is normal. And the picture of this guy was so gaudy, I couldn't put it on the screen. The power-tainted industry we call Hollywood, so weakened due to scandals that its influence is diminishing as people boycott films in disgust. The Boy Scouts allowing girls to join the organization. I go on. A world uh, word of a revival taking place in North Korea. The son of Hamas leader, who is now a Christian, tells United Nation that Palestinian leaders are a bunch of terrorists. Rick Warren states that he hoped his partnership with a Catholic leader would become the ecumenical model for the entire world. I was talking with somebody just before the study of um, uh, some sort of movie or video that's out there that has a lot of good 
people in it. Even our friend Amir Shafat is in it. But so is Peter Stone. And so are a lot of people who are dumbing down the gospel. And what the film at the end of the day is saying is it ends up in Rome. And that's exactly what the Bible predicts. But gang, unless you know your Bible, and you say, where's the end game and where does it end? It ends with a one world religion headquartered in Rome. So what's the, what do we have to do? We've got to get all the Christians to get on board. So I don't know much about it, but when I heard Peter Stone was in it and uh, the ecumenical slants of the Roman Catholics that were trying to get people to get on uh, return to home, you Roman Catholics who have left the church, come back because it's all headed back to Rome. Is that true? Absolutely. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible teaches. That's where it's all headed. K-12 U.S. educators uh, demonizing Israel and lauding Islam. A Democratic Party leader, Donna Brazili, blows a whistle on Democratic Party corruption. Politicians usually circle wagons and protect their own. Another one, the daily scolding I get from people protesting my pre-tribulation rapture timing theology. Uh, The return of the bubonic plague. A prominent secular talk source said, we live in interesting times, too interesting. He longs to go back to the 50s. I say amen to that. He doesn't understand that the last days would be characterized by a departure from the normal and acceleration of the errant. He can't grasp the fact that the Bible predicts a lot of what our headlines are stating today. It's all falling into place. And I just hit the tip of the iceberg of what's happened from one year to this year, exponentially, like birth pains about to take place. Matthew 24, the biggest miracle and the biggest sign that the Lord is returning and just coming back from there, the, um, our guide told us the biggest miracle in the Bible is the regathering of the people of Israel back into the land. And that's what the parable of the fig tree is. Matthew 24, 32, now I'll learn this parable from the fig tree. When the branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. When you have to rake them up, then you know that fall is near. (laughs) So also you, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the very door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Again, David Dolan, Psalm 102, says... um, When the Lord builds up Zion, he will appear in his glory. In other words, when they come back and they rebuild uh, the nation of Israel, he'll appear in his glory. Assuredly, I say, this generation will by no means pass away till all things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The fig tree has blossomed and is blooming. And it's gorgeous. And it's crowded. We missed one of our... We were supposed to do the rabbinical tunnel. We thought we had plenty of time to get there. It was only a 10-minute drive, but the traffic jam was 45 minutes to an hour. We had, we had to cancel because of the traffic jam in, in Jerusalem. Let's turn to First um, Timothy chapter 4. Again, I'm being repetitive on some of these, but I have to because that's um, where Zephaniah is being repetitive about the promise of the kingdom age coming. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. See, we can work thanksgiving into this Bible study. (laughs) For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, if you instruct the brother in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word, faith, and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather to godliness. Bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Teach what? Warn against false doctrine, false teaching. Make sure you stay in sound doctrine. And now this is Paul writing to his young protege. Um, These things, Timothy, command and teach. And don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example Evidently, he was young, and people weren't taking him seriously because of his youth. And Paul's saying, don't let him do that. If you're standing and you're speaking the word of God, then you stand and speak it like a man, and don't let anybody despise your youth. Good place for an amen. Amen. Till I come, give attention to what? Reading, exhortation, doctrine. What are we doing this morning? We're reading, we're teaching, and we're talking about doctrine. We're to do that for how long? Until the Lord comes. Well, what about the latest move of the Spirit down in this place or that place? Well, that's just this. Which way is wind blowing? That's where we should be doing now. No. And this is, um, this is where the church has got itself in trouble. They've gotten away from the book. And they want to know what the latest social trend is that's bringing in the people. Do not like neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that you may progress, uh, your progress may be evident to all. Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But know this in the last days. That's where we are right now. How do we know that? Because Israel is a nation again. Perilous times will come. Jesus said, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemies, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, out of self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. In other words, they show up for church on Sunday morning but reject all the things we just just listed. From such, people turn away. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What do we do? This isn't a suggestion that Paul gives to Timothy. He says, I charge you. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Give us a new program. What's the latest book that's hot that somebody wrote? Uh, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But Timothy, you be watchful in all things. Endure infliction, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. 
Judgment before blessing. So in Zephaniah, we have judgment. Three chapters long. Chapters one, two, and half of three is all about judgment. But then there's a light at the end of the tunnel. In verses 9 through 20, it's all about the kingdom that's coming. We're living in a period of time. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll begin to wind this up. Matthew 25. Judgment before blessing. The blessing is a 1,000-year millennial reign That was our text in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. It's all about the kingdom. Now, before that can come, even for us, we want the kingdom to come. Jesus promised to the seven churches, he says, you're going to rule and reign with me on the earth as kings and priests. Do you know that? Do you know that the Bible says if you're faithful in the little things now, then I'm going to cause you to be faithful over a whole lot more later. Well, what does that mean? I'm not quite sure, but I can understand that much. Just be faithful now. And I think it has to do with administrative roles when he sets up his kingdoms. There's sort of hints of it. He says, don't you know you're going to judge angels someday? And you're going to rule and reign with me? That sounds like administrative positions to me. So be faithful in whatever the Lord has called you to do. Then we have, in verse 31, we have the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is at the Battle of Armageddon. It is the end of the seven-year period of time that God promised Daniel. God owes Israel one week. God owes Israel seven years. It's no coincidence that Revelation 6 through 19 is a seven-year period of time. And so when, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. We read that in Zephaniah. All the nations will be gathered before him. We read that in Zephaniah. And he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep from the goats. Well, what's he talking about here? During the Great Tribulation, People can be passive now. Well, maybe I'll become a Christian someday, but not right now. i got things I want to do and so on and so forth. That's not going to be the case during the tribulation because during the tribulation, you have to choose. You have to choose to take the mark of the beast or you're going to get killed, or you take the mark of the beast and you can live, but there is no in-between unless you can hide real well, okay? Now, having said that, after the Lord comes at the Battle of Armageddon, there are people still alive. We can't go into the blessing yet because judgment has to be done. What do you mean judgment? Well, the Lord is going to judge between the sheep and the goats, those who are going to enter into the kingdom and those who are not. That's what Matthew 25, verse 31 is saying. He will, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them or judge them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand. These are the ones who died for Christ or I mean that did not take the mark of the beast that are still alive. The Old Testament says that men will be rare or few in those days, but the goats on the left, these are the ones who took the mark of the beast. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on to say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirst and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, 
Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren. I believe when he says my brethren, he's referring to Jewish people because the rapture has already taken place. And so I believe the greatest revival in Israel is going to take place during this time. I have friends that aren't saved that are guides in Israel. They hear it all. They've, they've heard so many Bible studies about the Lord's coming, and they're still not saved, and they don't want to be saved. I believe they're going to be the first ones saved, and, um, and the Lord's going to use them. And they did it to me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left hand, here's where the judgment comes in. The Lord is judging. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. Um, got to take a shot at Rob Bell. He's a universalist. And um, he wrote a book, Love Will Win, which means everybody goes to heaven in the end. Um, I just got um, an email from Jim DeYoung, um, who wrote, we've had him here, who wrote the book Burning Down the Shack, which was a book taking on, okay, brain, don't fail me now. The shack, of course it's a shack. Why didn't, I knew that. <laughs> it's a book on universalism. And this, is, this was his friend. And when he put forth his theses on universalism, it took him, it took him and two pastors two years to get as much as universalism out of the book so the public could buy it. Well, his best, one of his best friends that he camps with called him on it. And now he just wrote another book. He's sending it to me right now. He actually asked me if I would do an endorsement, and I said I'd be honored to endorse your book. And what he's doing is part two on universalism. What is universalism? Universalism is that in the end, God is a loving God. How could God send anybody to hell? Well, my Bible says right here, depart from me, you curse, into everlasting fire for the devil, what was prepared for the devil and his angels. So you got a choice. You can believe uh, um, William Paul Young. <laughs> there it is, <laughs> the author of the shack. Or you can believe the word of God. And what's being dumbed down today is the word of God, but the shack has sold millions and millions. My friend's book isn't going to serve that much, sell that much. Um, I hope he's not listening right now. <laughs> because, you know, it's not positive. It doesn't give you the reassurance, don't worry about a thing, everything's going to be okay, love's going to win in the end. And that's what itching ears and having teachers, that's what Paul was talking to Timothy about. Look out for those guys. That are, um, Warren Smith is another guy that nobody likes because he's out warning people about Rick Warren, deceived on purpose, and exposing him for what and who he really is and what his agenda is. It's to get Christians to come together to be united so we're all one happy family in Rome. I was thirsty, verse 42, hungry, and he gave me no food. I was thirsty, and he gave me no drink. And then they will answer and say, Lord, when we see you naked or hungry or stranger and did not minister to you, and then he answered them saying, Assuredly, I say inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. There has to be judgment before there can be blessing. I have one more verse, which is Daniel Chapter 12, the last chapter of, of the book of Daniel. And we read here, and I'm going to connect the dots. And one of my goals as we teach through the scripture, gang, is again, connecting the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're about to connect Matthew 25, verse 31, with Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, and read to the end through 13. 
Daniel says, although I heard I did not understand, I said, Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed until the time of the end. Not sealed to us anymore. For many will be purified, made white, refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise will understand. Who do the, what does the Bible tell us the wise are? Those who fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Just the beginning of wisdom. For the time will, for, for from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, now you have to connect this with Matthew 24 when Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's what he's referring to. And then you go to Revelation 13 and you see the Antichrist going into the temple. Second Thessalonians 2 says the same thing, that the Antichrist will go into the temple to show himself that he is God. That's what's being referred to here. It's called the abomination of desolation. Is set up, and then it gives us a time frame. There shall be 1,290 days. What does that mean? The day that he goes into the temple and declares himself to be God, Jesus tells Israel to head for the hills. But it's also a starting point. You start counting. 1,290 days. Just mark them off on your calendar. I hope you're not there. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,000. 3350. We have a 45 day difference between 1290 and 1335. Question What in the world is going on for 45 days? Answer Matthew 25. Evidently, before you can enter the kingdom, there has to be a separation of the nations, and it appears that it's going to take approximately 45 days days for that to take place, and then what? Blessed is he who waits and comes, and he makes it. Well, it's blessed because they've been judged. The Lord judged them and says, you get to go into the kingdom because I was naked and you clothed me. You blessed Israel. Um, Well, yeah, I can throw this in. Um, I got a call from an old friend, that I hadn't seen in years. His, his name is Brad. I was just talking about him. Uh, he started the first Calvary Chapel in Jerusalem years ago. And he had a warehouse just to bless the Jewish people from Russia. But he found out, I can't pronounce his last name, it's Vakovich or something like that, never could. And um, he called me out of the clear blue. He said, Dwight, I need to talk to you. And I said, talk on. And I said, it's so strange, Brad, that you would be calling because I was just, we were just in Switzerland, in Zurich, and I was talking about you because what Brad has there is a halfway house. It's paid for. It has 15 rooms, and it's used. He married a Russian gal um, that was involved with the Calvary Chapel in Russia. So this house is a halfway house because if you're a Russian Jew and you're moving to Jerusalem, First of all, you don't know the language, and you're going from communism to a democratic country. And what Brad learned, being the Calvary Chapel pastor in Jerusalem, is you need some time with these people to acclimate them to moving into Israel. So what Brad has here in Switzerland is this home where he basically walks them through, teaches them Hebrew. Um, they have a storage place in Jerusalem that's paid for, and it's filled with furniture, and it's filled with clothes, because a lot of the Jews that are leaving Russia leave with nothing but the clothes on their back. So there's been a lot of things happening in in the Calvary Chapel movement that you know about, that there's two parts of it right now. And so he was calling me and asking me just my opinion on certain issues. And But I also brought it up to our board meeting yesterday, and when it's, and I'm bringing it up, it says, blessed is he who waits. What I told my friend is this. I said, Brad, you got a great work going. 
And Genesis 12.3 is coming to my mind right now, that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And if you're going around the Calvaries, if they have any brains at all, Pastor Chuck would always say, invest where there's going to be fruit. That's just wise. Invest where there's going to be fruit. So during our board meeting yesterday, I threw it out to our board members. I said, what do you guys think? And I, I told them the story about bread. And they said, let's support them. And we kicked around some numbers and part of the board minutes. And Cynthia, you're going to be getting them. So we just are now. I said, Brad, come on over here next week and speak to Calvary Appleton. And he says, I can. I got this, this uh, set of speaking engagements that I got to keep. I said, I got a board meeting on Saturday. I'm going to bring it up to the board. And just so that you know, you guys are supporting Brad, as he supports Jews on their way to Israel. And to me, that's a wise investment. Amen. So, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335th day. But you go your way till the end, for you will rest and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. Thus, we have uh, taken a topical study out of the book of Zephaniah. On Wednesday, we will come back and do our verse by verse and get caught up, and we will continue then on into our next book, which is the book of Haggai. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we see that before there could be blessings that you had to deal with your people and judgment to get them to return to you. As we apply it to our own lives, uh, we close this morning by saying, Lord, we're, we're grateful. There, our country will celebrate Thanksgiving this week, but Lord, we're grateful for your word. It tells us what and how to live. It tells us when these things begin to happen that we're to look up because our redemption draws nigh. So we're grateful for your word, Lord, and we're thankful. And we pray that um, you go before the rest of our day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.